Chapter 5 of Molly Brown's Freshman Days. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Debbie Baker Robinson. Molly Brown's Freshman Days by Nell Speed. The Kentucky Spread. Molly, you look a little worried, observed Nance Oldham, two days before the famous spread was to take place, it having been set for Friday evening. Molly was seated on her bed in the midst of a conglomerate mass of books and clothes, chewing the end of a pencil while she knitted her brows over a list of names. Not exactly worried, she replied, but you know, Nance, giving a party is exactly like some kind of strong stimulant with me. It goes to my head, and I seem to get intoxicated on invitations. Once I get started to inviting, I can't seem to stop. Molly Brown, put in Nance severely, I believe you've just about invited the whole of Wellington College to come here Friday night. And because you are already such a famous person, everybody has accepted. I think I can about remember how many I asked, she replied penitently. There are all the girls in the house, of course. Frances Andrews? Molly nodded. And all the girls who were at Miss Stewart's the other night, what even that girl who makes catty speeches that black-eyed blount person yes even so continued molly sadly i really hadn't intended to ask her nance but i do love to heap coals of fire on people's heads and besides i just told you when i get started i can't seem to stop when i was younger i've been known to bring home as many as six strange little girls to dinner at once the next time you give a party, put in Nance, we'd better make out the list beforehand, and then you must give me your word of honor not to add one name to it. I'll try to, replied Molly with contrition, but it's awfully hard to take the pledge when it comes to asking people to meals, even spreads. The two girls examined the list together, and Molly racked her brains to try and remember any left outs, as she called them. I'm certain that's all, she said at last. That makes twenty, doesn't it? Oh, Nance, I tremble for the old ham and the hickory nut cake. Do you think they'll go round? Auntie, she's my godmother, is sending me another box of beaten biscuits. She has promised to keep me supplied. You know, I have never eaten cold light bread in my life at breakfast, and I'd just as soon choke down cold potatoes as the soggy bread they give us here. But beaten biscuit and ham and homemade pickles won't be enough, even with the hickory nut cake, she continued doubtfully. I have a chafing dish. We can make fudge. Then there's tea, you know. We can borrow cups and saucers from the others. But we'll have to do something else for their amusement besides feed them. Have you thought of anything? Lily and Millie, these were two sophomores at Queen's, have a stunt they have promised to give. It's to be a surprise. And Jenny Wren has promised to bring her guitar and oblige us with a few selections. But, oh, Nance, except for the Eaton, I'm afraid it won't be near such a fine party as Mary Stewart's was. Eatin's the main thing, child. Don't let that worry you, replied Nance consolingly. I think I have an idea of something which would interest the company, but I'm not going to tell even you what it is. Nance had a provoking way of keeping choice secrets and then springing them when she was entirely ready and wild horses could not drag them out of her before that propitious moment. On Friday evening, the girls began to arrive early, for, as has been said, Molly was already an object of interest at Wellington College, and the fame of her beaten biscuits and old ham had spread abroad. Some of the guests, like Mary Stewart, came because they were greatly attracted toward the young freshman, and others, like Judith Blount, felt only an amused curiosity in accepting the invitation. 
as a general thing judith was a very exclusive person but she felt she could safely show her face where mary stewart was this looks pretty fine to me observed that nice unaffected young woman herself shaking hands with molly and nance it's good of you to say so replied molly your premises would make two of ours i'm thinking but look at your grand buffet how clever of you one of you two children must have a genius for arrangement the study tables had been placed at one end of the room close together their crudities covered with a white cloth borrowed from mrs murphy and on these were piled the viands in a manner to give the illusion of great profusion and plenty it's molly laughed nance she's a natural entertainer not at all put in molly i come of a family of cooks and did your cook relatives marry butlers asked judith molly stifled a laugh somehow judith couldn't say things like other girls there was always a tinge of spite in her speeches where i come from she said gravely the cooks and butlers are colored people and the old ones are almost like relatives they are so loyal and devoted but there are not many of those left now the room was gradually filling and presently every guest had arrived except francis andrews we won't wait for her said molly to lily and millie the two inseparable sophomores who now quietly slipped out presently nance major-domo for the evening shoved all the guests back onto the divans and into the corners until a circle was formed in the center of the room she then hung a placard on the knob of the door which read mohammed the cock of the east versus chanticleer the cock of the west there was a sound of giggling and scuffling the door opened and two enormous man-sized cocks entered the room both fowls had white bodies made by putting the feet through the sleeves of a nightgown which was drawn up around the neck and over the arms the fullness gathered into the back and tied into a rakish tail a persian kimono was draped over mohammed to represent wings and a tightly fitting white cap with a point over the forehead covered his head his face was powdered to a ghastly pallor with talcum and his mouth had been painted with red fingernail salve into a cruel red slash across his countenance chanticleer was of a more engaging countenance a small red felt bedroom slipper formed his comb and a red silk handkerchief covered his black hair the two cocks crowed and flapped their wings and the fight began amid much laughter and cheering twice chanticleer was almost spurred to death but it was Mohammed's lot to die that evening, and presently he expired with a terrible groan, while the cock of the west placed his foot on Mohammed's chest and crowed a mighty crow, for the west had conquered the east. That was really the great stunt of the evening, and it occupied a good deal of time. Molly began carving the ham, which she had refused to do earlier, because a ham properly served should appear first in all its splendid shapely wholeness before being sliced into nothingness therefore she now proceeded to cut off thin portions which crumbled into bits under the edge of the carving knife borrowed from mrs murphy but the young hostess composedly heaped it upon the plates with pickle and biscuit and it was eaten so quickly that she had scarcely finished the last serving before the plates were back again for a second allowance during the hot fudge and hickory nut cake course the door opened and a scotch laddie kilted and belted in the most approved manner entered the room his knees were bare he wore a little scotch cap a black velvet jacket and a platy thrown over one shoulder but the most perfect part of his get-up was his miniature bagpipe which he blew on vigorously and presently he paused and sang a scotch song nance cried several of the queen's cottage girls for it was difficult to recognize the quiet young girl from vermont in this rakish disguise 
in the midst of the uproar there was a loud knock on the door come in called molly a little frightened thinking perhaps the kindly matron had for once rebelled at the noise they were making slowly the door opened and an old hag stepped into the room she was really a terrible object and some of the girls shrieked and fell back as she advanced toward the jolly circle her nose was of enormous length and almost rested on her chin like a staff like the nose of the last leaf on the tree also she had a crooked back and leaned heavily on a stick on her head was a high pointed witch's cap she wore black goggles and had only two front teeth the witch produced a pack of cards which she dexterously shuffled with her black gloved hands then she sat down on the floor beckoning to the girls to come nearer half a minute fortune for each one she observed in a muffled disguised voice but it was a very fulsome minute as judy remarked afterward for what little she said was strictly to the point to judith blount she said english literature is your weak point look out for danger ahead this seemed simple enough advice but judith flushed darkly and several of the girls exchanged glances molly for some reason recalled what judith had said about professor edwin green many of the other girls came in for knocks but they were very skillful ones deftly hidden under the guise of advice to jenny wren the witch said be careful of your friends don't ever cultivate unprofitable people to nance oldham she said you will always be very popular if you stick to popular people it was all soon over molly's fortune had been left to the last the strange witch had gone so quickly from one girl to another that they had scarcely time to take a breath between each fortune as for you she said at last turning to molly i can only say that kind hearts are more than coronets and simple faith than norman blood and by the end of your freshman year you'll be the most popular girl in college who are you cried molly suddenly coming out of her dream yes who are you cried judith breaking through the circle and seizing the witch by the arm with a swift movement the witch pushed her back and she fell in a heap on some girls who were still sitting on the floor i will know who you are cried jenny wren with a determined note in her high voice as she grasped the witch by the arm and it did look for a moment as if the kentucky spread were going to end in a free-for-all fight when suddenly in the midst of the scramble and cries came three raps on the door and the voice of the matron called young ladies ten o'clock lights out the girls always declared that it was the witch who had got near the door and pushed the button which put out every light in the room at any rate the place was in total darkness for half a minute and when molly switched the lights on again for the girls to find the wraps the witch had disappeared in another instant the guests had vanished into thin air and across the moonlit campus ghostly figures could be seen flitting like shadows over the turf toward the dormitories for there was no time to lose at a quarter past ten the gates into the quadrangle would be securely locked nance lit a flat thick candle known in the village as burglar's terror and in this flickering dim light the two girls undressed hastily suddenly molly exclaimed in a whisper nance i believe it was frances andrews who dressed up as that witch and i'm going to find out rules or no rules she slipped on her kimono and crept into the hall the house was very still but she tapped softly on frances's door there was no answer and opening the door she tiptoed into the room a long ray of moonlight filtering in through the muslin curtains made the room quite light there was a smell of lavender salts in the air 
and Molly could plainly see Frances in her bed. A white handkerchief was tied around her head, as if she had a headache, but she seemed to be asleep. Frances, called Molly softly. Frances gave a stifled sob that was half a groan and turned over on her side. Frances, called Molly again. Frances opened her eyes and sat up. Is anything the matter? she asked. Molly went up to the bedside. Even in the moonlight, she could see that Frances's eyes were swollen with crying. I was afraid you were ill, whispered Molly. Why didn't you come to the spread? I had a bad headache. It's better now. Good night. Molly crept off to her room. Was it Frances, after all, who had broken up her party? Molly was inclined to think it was not, and yet... At any rate, we'll give her the benefit of the doubt, Nance, she whispered. But there were no doubts in Nance's mind. End of chapter 5